school, some friends of mine had a band, and the name of their band was called The Minimum Requirements. That was the name of their band, The Minimum Requirements. And they didn't go very far, and they didn't stay together very long, but the name stuck with me. I thought it was a funny name for a band, but I also realized that it's a bad name for a lifestyle. You don't want to just go through life doing the bare minimum. And yet, a lot of people will go to the bare minimum in order to gauge where they are with the Lord. Have you ever asked somebody uh, if they knew God or if they were right with God or how was their relationship with God? And they'll say things at times like, well, I'm not that bad, right? I've never killed anybody. I've never stolen anything big. You know, there are these larger things in their minds that are the really bad things. And the lesser bad things, they just kind of take, you know, into their mind, well, everybody does that, but at least I haven't done that, whatever that big sin might be. And I'm glad, I'm glad. They might say, well, I've never killed anybody. Well, I'm sure glad that you've never killed anybody. That is a wonderful thing. But did you know that God takes it deeper than that in our heart? The Lord takes it deeper than that. I always thought that the God of the Old Testament was very demanding and that God suddenly had some sort of personality change in the New Testament and now he was all loving until I realized that you find mercy in the Old Testament just like you do in the New Testament and you find God holding the line of holiness in the New Testament just like the Old. Did you know that Jesus took everything to another level? And in this Sermon on the Mount that we're going to look at together as we continue through this study in it, we're going to see Jesus take something that everyone would see like, yeah, I know that, that makes sense, and he's going to take it to a whole nother level, and you're going to have to ask yourself, that sin is worthy of hellfire? I never would have thought so. So let's look together in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse number 21. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse number 21. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First, be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and we love your word, and we thank you for it. We thank you for your promise to be in our midst tonight. And so we ask that because we know you're here, that your spirit would move among us and show us yourself and the truth of your word. Give me clarity of thought and speech, and may what comes forth be born of your spirit and the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is delivering this powerful sermon to crowds of people that have gathered somewhere in Galilee, most likely near the Sea of Galilee, on a hill, It was uh, masses of people had turned out for one of Jesus' earliest sermons. And the Sermon on the Mount is the longest recorded sermon that we have of the Lord Jesus. And the theme of it so far has been turning everything on its head. You see, there were the clean living religious leaders in the community of the Jewish people called the Pharisees. And they acted and 
pretended to be very holy. But what Jesus called out in their lives was that though they're close to God with their lips, they were far from him in their hearts. And so he begins to tell them about true righteousness and how true righteousness is so much deeper than just following these forms. There has to be something real on the inside. And so it begins in our passage tonight, ye have heard that it was said by them of old time. Going back to the Old Testament, going back to the Mosaic Law that everyone would be familiar with, he's like, you all know this to be true and you've heard it. In fact, where did you hear it from? You probably heard it from the scribes and from the Pharisees. You were probably taught these things, and Jesus is going to bring up a number of topics here. We're only going to look at one of them tonight. A number of topics where you've heard this, but I say unto you. You've heard this, but I say unto you. He's going to go into that pattern. And what he's saying is, you've heard this thing throughout generations of what's true. But I want to let you know there's more to it than that. Let me tell you what the Lord's intention is behind this. And he takes each of these things to a whole nother level. In verse 21, you have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not kill. This is one of those commandments that's pretty easy to remember. If I were to have asked you tonight to list one of the Ten Commandments for me, or three of the Ten Commandments, some of you might be able to do all of them. But I can guess, without a doubt, this one would be one of the first ones you'd think of. Because it's simple, right? You don't have to worry about coveting people's men servants and maid servants and all that kind of thing. You can just say, thou shalt not kill. And that would immediately come to your mind. And we would all say, yes, we like that rule. We like that rule. In fact, the vast majority of people in the Western world would say, without this as a foundation for your society, it wouldn't function. You can't have chaos where people are just killing one another without thought. What it's saying here is not just any kind of killing, right? If you, if you swat a mosquito, is that the kind of killing that we're talking about, right? If you, if you um, have your own livestock, as they would have in this day, and you would have slaughtered your own livestock, is that what they're talking about with killing? Is this what they're talking about when God would have led the children of Israel into war in the promised land? Is that what we're talking about, that kind of killing, when he says you shouldn't do it? And the answer is no, that's not the type of killing we're talking about here. We're talking about unlawfully, illegally taking a human life. Unlawfully, illegally taking a human life. This is not one of those situations in which the government, let's say, has been given the authority by God in order to exact the death penalty. We see that in Genesis chapter 9. If you look back towards the beginning of things, when God is giving rules for government, rules for society, even before the Mosaic law, he sets something very simple out to Noah and his sons. And he says in verse number six of Genesis nine, whoso sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed for in the image of God made he man. We see here that the penalty for taking somebody's life for shedding the blood on intentionally murdering somebody is that they lose their life in return. This is what God's system of governmental justice should look like when it comes to murdering somebody. And why was God so specific about this? Because people were made in the image of God. Well, just because they looked like God, what's the big deal there? No, it's not that they just looked like him. They shared characteristic with him. They were valuable because they were made in the image of God. And so whether we like them or don't like them, whether they're convenient or not convenient to us, whether they're in our way and accomplishing things that we 
don't get in our way from accomplishing the things that we want. We just can't kill people, as they might say, willy-nilly. And God puts out here, though there are times, whether it's by government or by warfare, remember a man after God's own heart was David. King David in the Old Testament was a great warrior. He even said that God taught his hands to war and his fingers to fight, that God helped strengthen him to have victory over his enemies. So we're not talking about warfare. What we're talking about is murder. And he's saying, you've heard, Jesus is saying, you've heard from a long time ago that you should not commit murder. But if you do commit murder, what ends up happening? Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. You are going to go before judgment and be condemned for it, and going to be found guilty for it, and you're going to be punished for it. And everybody would look at this and say, yes, this makes perfect sense. If you kill somebody, you're going to go before judgment, the punishment according to the Old Testament law, and what the nation of Israel should be using for its government is that your life would be taken. Everyone can be in agreement about this. You cannot just kill people because they're inconvenient, no matter how old or how young they are. You cannot kill people because they're inconvenient, no matter how old or how young they are. Which means that regardless of how old that baby is in the womb, out of the womb, that child has value because he or she is born and made, excuse me, in the image of God and will be born. And so you cannot, through abortion, take that life and have it be anything less than murder. In the same way, you can't go to the end of life and say, you know what? These people are a drain on society. Instead of paying all of this money through welfare programs, we ought to take all of these old people and we ought to just put them to death. We ought to just euthanize them, right? You cannot get rid of people because they're inconvenient to you, right? Otherwise, all of us at some point or another would have been murdered during our morning commutes to and from work because we would have gotten in somebody's way who was running late. This teaching is not new. But in verse 22, Jesus says this, But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoa, 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 back that up. We're all on board for the no killing thing, but now you're saying, if I'm angry, if I'm furious with my brother, if I am mad at somebody, and it's not for a good cause, there's not some righteous anger behind it, then I am doing the same thing and deserve the same judgment and am just as wrong as if I murdered them, that's completely different. That's good. And did you notice how Jesus began this verse? But I say unto you, this would have turned heads. Because what Jesus was saying, I know what the Old Testament says, but this is what I'm saying to you. Jesus Christ, God's Son, the Word made flesh, was exercising His prerogative as the Word of God to further expand the revelation, the truth, of what God said. He wasn't just another teacher. He spoke with authority. Look in John chapter 1, if you would, please. In John chapter 1, we're told about the Lord Jesus here on who he is. Because who is Jesus to take something and add to the Old Testament? Who is he? No other rabbi would be able to do that and get away with it without facing cost and penalty. Can you and I just add to the word of God today? Can we say we've had a vision? Can we say we have some idea and change what the word of God says or remove part of it or add to it? And the answer would be no. So who is Jesus to do such a thing? John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, 
and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Jump down to verse 14. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So here is the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then that word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Who is the living word of God but the Lord Jesus Christ? the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so when Jesus speaks, he speaks with the full authority of God the Father. And what he's saying is, I am adding something. I am expanding something. I am revealing the true intention behind this commandment so that we might understand what it's like to live in the kingdom of heaven and to live in such a way as to please the Lord. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Now, it's easy to get angry, isn't it? It's easy to hate somebody, isn't it? And we generally would think to ourselves, that's not nearly as bad as killing them. Not nearly as bad as killing them. But you see, God is not just interested in the minimum requirement. He's interested at the heart of the matter, as we've been talking on Sunday mornings, and he brings it all the way down into the intention of the heart. And where does murdering somebody begin? Well, it begins with hatred inside of the heart. That's where the murder begins. And so Jesus is correcting this teaching of the Pharisees, whereas they want to just give you the bare minimum, but they're not interested in the deep part of it. And now Jesus is bringing the deep part of it. You know, it continues in this passage to give us some odd words. It says, and whosoever shall say to his brother Raka, shall be in danger of the council. If you say this, you ought to be dragged before the ruling Jewish body of the Sanhedrin and forced to deal with the consequences for doing this as though you had just murdered somebody. What does raka mean? Well, it's numbskull. It's fool. That's what that term might mean. It says, they shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in the danger of hellfire. You know this second thou fool? It's like calling somebody a moron. Now you say, those are some pretty weak insults compared to what's thrown around today. Those are some pretty weak insults. But do you know what we're reminded of here? That the power of death and life are in the tongue. And God cares about our words. Look in, look in Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18, would you? In Proverbs chapter 18 and verse number 21. We might understand that death and life are in the power of the hand that wields a sword. But here it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Meaning that with your words, with your tongue, the things that you say, you have the power to kill and you have the power to bring life. You may not be able to sentence somebody to death because you're in some sort of authority station in the government. That might not be where you're at. But you still have the power to bring death to people. And you have the power to bring life with just your words. And here he's saying, not only can you not murder somebody, but you can't hold that anger unjustly or that hatred inside of your heart. And not only can you not hate them inside of your heart, you can't run them down. 
You can't insult them to your face. You can't to their face. You can't tear them down with your words. You can't tear them. You know what it says that if you tear them down with your words, look back at the end of verse number 22. This seems wild, but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Hellfire, as in the burning of the place of eternal torment. That this sin is so grievous and so serious, as all sin is, that it would take a person to hell. If we hated and if we ran somebody down with our words. Some of us, some of us are mass murderers because of our words and our tongues. Some of us are mass murderers. Oh, we don't have any war crime trials ahead of us. We never laid a hand on somebody, but we took our words and we spoke death. We tore them down. We made them feel small. We made them feel terrible. We got angry. We were humiliated. We were upset. We were mocked. We were lied about. We were betrayed. We were hurt. And so we lashed back out. And because of that, with that anger that we held against them in our own hearts, we lashed out. We have made ourselves as guilty as any murderer in the eyes of God. That is a huge addition, development, depth that Jesus added. Uh, by the way, I love people that bring life with their words. Don't you love people that are encouraging? There are just some people that would have something good to say every time you talk to them. And some people, you don't even ask how they are. You know what I'm saying. You know that person. You don't ask how they are because you're not going to get the kind of answer that you'd hope to get. Most people would just be, oh, I'm doing okay. Other people, they have an alliterated list of all of the things that have been done against them and the wrongs, and now you've got to listen to it, right? We all have people that we, we don't, but there are some people that are encouragers, and they go about trying to use their words to build people up. You know, I am sure that she would not want me to make a big deal about it, but uh, Sand, this week, Sandy Williams sent me a note in the mail. I don't know if you've ever gotten a note from Sandy Williams before, but it was very, very encouraging. And I loved hearing what she had to say. And there was no major reason for it other than the Lord put it on her heart to do it, and she did it, and she encouraged me. And I just had to let her know how much that meant. And, and she wouldn't want to be bragged about, but I kind of want to brag on her because she uses her words for life instead of to hurt. Verse number 23, Therefore, because it's wrong to hate somebody, because it's wrong to run them down, because we have to deal with the root cause of wanting to kill somebody, and don't pretend like you haven't thought about it. You've gotten mad enough before where you thought, I wonder if I could bury them in the desert. Could I get away with it? Moses didn't get away with it. You probably won't get away with it. So let's be realistic about it. By the way, the fact that it's so easy to be in danger of hellfire shows us what need we all have for a Savior. That none of us, no matter how good of a job we try and do, fall short. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and desperately need a Savior. It says in verse 23, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee. Okay, let's imagine that we're going to church. Or in their case, they're going to the temple. They're going to the synagogue. And they have an offering that they want to give to the Lord. And the, uh, by the way, the Pharisees loved it when people brought offerings. In fact, they thought that was perhaps the most important part of ministry, was the money that they collected because of what it allowed them to do and how it allowed them to live. And so they thought that might be the most, very, the most important part of what happened. 
They made a big deal about the money and the treasury and all that, but not so big of a deal about people and taking care of them. And so imagine that you were headed up into the temple and you had your money with you in a bag or you had it in a small wooden box and you were about to cast it in to the collection plate. And right before you would cast it in there, amid all the praises and, and the, the incense being burned for, for uh, prayers and inside, the, right before you're about to do that, you remember that there's something not right between you and your brother, between you and your sister, between somebody that's close to you. There's a conflict. They've offended you, you've offended them, and you remember that there's something that needs to be dealt with. And you're right, about to, you're right about to worship the Lord by giving your money. You're right about to do that. You can almost imagine Jesus side-eyeing the Pharisees that are listening to this. Because they would say, what, more, what could be more important than that? And he says, no, if you remember that your brother has ought anything against you, what should you do? Verse 24, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First, be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. What you should do is that you should pause and say one second, and before you put it in, before they can claim it and call it their own at the temple, you set it aside, and you walk out of the temple, you walk out of the synagogue, you walk out of the church in modern day, and you go and you call up if it's modern day, or you go to where your brother or sister is, and you reconcile with them. You make peace with them. Because God says that that is just as important, if not more important. First, your heart being right with your brother is more important than the religious activity that we engage in. The Lord is very interested in what happens in our hearts. Very interested in what happens in our hearts. He says, first, go and deal with it, and then come back and give your gift. I don't know if you've ever met somebody that holds grudges but some of us could be in a Guinness Book of World Records for holding grudges the longest. Grudges, you can't hold a grudge and please the Lord. You can't. You can't please the Lord and hold on to a grudge. Because if you do, you're having aught in your heart against somebody. And you're refusing to deal with that. And it will stunt all of your worship with the Lord. It will stunt all of your growth if you're harboring that inside of you. We can't please God and keep grudges. And so how long should we let our grudges go on? How long should we harbor the anger inside of us? Well, it says in verse 25, Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the, deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. You know what he says? If you are, have wronged somebody and it needs to be made right, do it right away. Do it quickly. In fact, do it right when it happens. While you're in the way with him, if at all possible, make right after you've done wrong. Don't let it fester. Don't let it go. Deal with it right away. Because really what's going to happen is if you need to apologize for something, if you need to ask forgiveness for something, if you need to make restitution and make up for something, guess what? Whether you do it now or you do it later, you're still going to have to do it if you want to be right with the Lord. Whether you do it now or you do it later, the price is still going to be taken from you. Notice what he says. What will happen is he's going to take you to court over it. 
and you're going to be taken to court and you're going to be found because in this scenario they're assuming that you've done something wrong and instead of making it right you just tried to hide from it and eventually they're going to find you and they're going to drag you before a court and they're going to find you guilty and they're going to put you into a debtor's prison until you have paid notice what it says in verse 26 verily i say unto thee thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing how many farthings did we get in the offering today probably not very many farthings but could we say until you pay the last penny you're not getting out of it you're not getting out of it until you pay the and since waiting for it doesn't make a problem what problems get better when you just sit on them i've seen very few problems get better just because you sit on them in fact usually they get larger and they get worse if you don't act on it so we have to deal with the grudge we have to deal with the hatred we have to deal with the wrong right away because what happens anger in the moment might actually cool off after a few days but you know what replaces it bitterness and it's much sneakier than anger you can say oh, i'm over it i'm fine i've cooled off it's no big deal yeah but what what seeds were sown when you were angry have to be dealt with. And it's much easier to do it before, before it takes root. So what is God calling us to do with this passage? There are many of these, you've heard it said in old time, but I say unto you. But today we're looking at this idea of killing or murder and anger, hatred in our hearts, tearing people down with our words. What is God calling us to do? The first thing is to cleanse hatred from our hearts. To cleanse hatred from our heart. heart. So obviously, let's begin with this. Don't murder people. All right? Don't murder people. But let's go beyond that. Let's not just look at the minimum requirement. Let's take what the Lord has behind that, and that is to be careful not to allow anger to rule over us. The Bible warns you against being around angry men. It warns you about being angry. In fact, it says, if you've got an angry friend, someone who's furious, who's prone to flip their lid, and they don't deal with it, no matter how many times you get them out of trouble, they're going to be right back in trouble again. And don't, don't look at anybody, don't point at anybody, don't nudge anybody, okay? But we, we probably know somebody that is like this, and maybe we've seen God temper that, and God change that person. What an amazing testimony of God's grace. You see, this is the intent behind this commandment. We get angry, and sometimes we get angry for legitimate reasons. We get angry for the legitimate reasons. Somebody has hurt us. Somebody has said something. Somebody has done something. Somebody has sabotaged something. Whether it's a betrayal, or they've yelled at us, or they've disrespected us. Maybe they've even hit us. We feel unappreciated. We feel mocked. Whatever it might be. There's all a number of reasons why we might end up feeling angry and all of them might be real and your anger might be real but if we allow it to stay there and to eventually bubble out of our mouths and god forbid that it should turn into action and we should hurt them then we are going to find ourselves in danger of the judgment in danger it says even of hellfire meaning that it is as wicked a sin against god as any sin could be You've heard the children's phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. God doesn't agree with that. God doesn't agree with that. Some of you, and I don't want any examples, but some of you were told something by someone. I don't know who it is. 
Maybe it was your mother. Maybe it was your father. Maybe it was a sibling. Maybe it was a teacher. Maybe it was a coach. Maybe it was just a friend. But they said something so hurtful. And maybe they didn't even realize how hurtful it is. But to this day, decades later, you still remember what it is. You still remember what it is. And maybe it changed your life when they said it. And it said, maybe I really am a failure. Maybe I really never will make it. Maybe I can't do anything right. Maybe it, it would be better off if I wasn't here. All sorts of things that people might say in a moment and not realize the harm, the death that they're speaking. Some of you could go back and think of a time when somebody said that. And it's, I mean, think about all the things that somebody has said to you and around you over the years. The millions of words we must have heard come into our ears and, and we don't remember what they are, but we remember that. We remember that. Some of you were told something, and so you can never accept the fact that, that you're not ugly or fat or gangly or whatever it is that they said. You can't accept that. No matter what you do, it's never good enough because you still hear that echoing through your head. Words are very powerful. Very powerful. And so we need, before the anger bubbles out, to deal with it, to cleanse our heart from it. And as I mentioned before, it's so easy to get angry. This shows us our great need of a Savior. If we don't have the forgiveness of sins, none of us are going to make it to heaven. Because all of us have been angry at some times, and all of us have been cutting with our words at some time or another. And because of that, we've all sinned. And because of that, we're all in danger of the hellfire. We deserve it. It's facing us. It's right there. But praise God, by His grace, that even for the sins that we have committed of tearing people down with our words, even for the sins of harboring hatred in our heart, God forbid, even those that have committed murder, there is still a Savior who has paid for that sin. And there still is a way back to God. It shows us our great need. Second of all, we need to use our words to build up others. We need to use our words to build up others. Tearing others down with name-calling, hurtful language is just as sinful as though we plunge the knife into them ourselves. So, we get a choice. It says that death and power, excuse me, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life. You know, what, you know why death comes first? My friend Scott Pauley said, because that's the one that comes easiest. I don't know if that's what the writer meant or if that's what the Spirit wanted us to take from it. But death and life are in the power of the tongue. So you've got to decide what you're going to do with your words. Whether you're going to choose to build people up or whether you're going to choose to tear them down. I want you to choose to build up your loved ones. I want you to use your words to build up the people that are most important to you. Whether that's a girlfriend or boyfriend. Whether that's your fiancé. Whether that's um, your spouse. When was the last time that you intentionally said something nice to your spouse? Or when was the last time you said something intentionally nice to one of your children or to your grandchildren? Now it's easy, it's easy to say something nasty. It's easy to say something wrong. Parents, level with me. There's always something to correct your child about, isn't there? Let's just be honest, there's always something to correct. And usually it's the things that we most detest in ourselves. That's a whole different sermon. I'll let Pastor Steve preach on that. That's deep water right there. 
There's always something negative to say. But did you know there's always something positive to say too? I, I, read, I read in a book one time that we should try and catch people doing right. We should be waiting and looking to catch them doing something right so we can praise them for it, so we can thank them for it. Isn't that awesome? What a great idea that is. Did you know that no matter how much you choose to build somebody up, there will be times when you have to correct them and tell them things they don't want to hear, but wouldn't you like to have already built up a little bit of a, a deposit that you can withdraw from by having invested in their life so that they'll hear what you have to say? They'll hear what you have to say. Build up your friends. Build up your coworkers. Build up your neighbors. Build up fellow church members. Build up your Sunday school teacher. Even build up your pastors. They could use it. Use your words to build up others. Lastly, forgive all grudges. Forgive all grudges. God says if we have anything between us and a brother or a sister, whether that's in church, whether that's a physical relationship, whether that's anybody, if there's something between us and them, we need to go right away and solve it. We need to go right away and make peace. What if we've truly been wronged? Go make peace anyway. What if they're just going to do it again? They might. Go, go make peace anyway. What if they won't make peace with us? If they won't make peace with you, then here's what you can do. You can forgive them for whatever their part was in it. And you could admit whatever your part was in the situation. And if they don't want to try and restore what's been broken, if they don't want to try and rebuild trust, if they don't want to re-engage with you, that's on them. But I need to take responsibility before God for what I did wrong. And then I need to make sure that I've forgiven them for what they've done. What does it mean to forgive somebody? Is it just to pretend that it didn't happen? Is it just to blow it off and be like, ah, no big deal? No, there's, there's really four things that go into a, a good act of forgiveness. One is to admit that it happened. Don't pretend it didn't happen. We've got to acknowledge that it happened or else we can never really be forgiven or forgive. It happened. It was wrong. It hurt. And I release you. You say, they won't even answer the phone. I can't even tell them that I forgive them. That's okay. It's more for you at this point than it is for them. If it's gotten to the place where they refuse to even pick up the phone, they won't answer your call, they won't answer the door, then this is about you and your heart. And you need to release them or else it'll stay there. It'll stay there. Grudges, grudges will get in the way of our walk with God. Grudges will get in the way of our walk with God. They don't deserve forgiveness, you might say. Neither do you. Neither do I. And yet, Christ forgave us. And because he forgave us of such an incalculable debt, how can we not forgive them? How can we not? Because of all that we've been forgiven, what unloving, terrible behavior towards Christ would it be? To refuse. Listen, we did the worst thing that could be done and had the worst punishment that anyone could ever receive leveled at us. Justly. And yet he forgave us at his own cost to himself. Where, where do I get off not forgiving somebody else? Where do I get off not forgiving somebody else? God did it for us. He forgave us. And so we should do it for him, even if they don't deserve it. 
We cannot please God and keep grudges. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. But whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whoso is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes for just a moment? I'd like for us in this time of invitation to consider what God's word might be saying to us, what his spirit has said to us. Perhaps you're here this evening and there's a grudge in your heart. I don't know who it's against. No one prompted this. I don't have a grudge against somebody. And if you have a grudge against me, you've done a very good job in hiding it. It's not about anything specific, but maybe there is something. Maybe it's something between you and a close family member. Maybe it's between you and a parent. Maybe it's between you and the memory of a parent. Perhaps it's in your own home now with a spouse or a child. Maybe it's a brother or a sister. Maybe it's a Christian brother or sister, somebody in church or from your past. Maybe somebody really wronged you and they hurt you and it is, I mean, you've got dreams about it. You've got, I don't know, stress, post-traumatic stress syndrome from the things that they've done to you. And you say, how can I forgive them? They don't deserve it, right? Right. But it's only going to poison you. It's only going to poison you. Without anybody looking around with heads bowed and eyes closed, would there be anybody here tonight that's saying, I'm praying that God will help me to forgive a grudge? Is there anybody like that? Amen. I see your hand. Amen. The Lord sees your hand. Anybody else? God, forgive me of this hatred. Amen. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Amen. Amen. Maybe you're here tonight and, and you realize that you've been using power of the tongue for death and not life you've been using it to tear down maybe even the people that mean the most to you how rotten is it that we'll, we'll give our best to the people at work or around the community or at school and we'll come home and the nastiest side of us comes out to the people that matter the most friend if you were to lose your job they'd replace you in less than a month's time maybe two months if you're really important they wouldn't care Oh, but the people that are dearest to us. Maybe you're here today and you say, God has gotten my attention and by God helping me, I'm going to build people up. I'm going to commit to intentionally build people up. The people in my home, the people around this church, the people maybe at work or around your neighborhood, grandchildren, whoever it might be, you say, I'm changing. The power of the tongue is flipping from darkness to light, from death to life. If that's you, tonight, just between you and me and God, I want to pray for you. Would you slip your hand up and say, that's me. It's time to speak life. Amen. Anybody else tonight? It's time to speak life. Amen. If you don't know Christ as Savior, if you've never been baptized, if you wanted to put your life and influence in this church as a member, uh, this is the time to do that. But I think God is dealing with all of us about our hearts. And so this altar is open as a place of prayer where you can pray right there in your seat. But if you need someone to pray with you, if you need to get right with the Lord with the matter of salvation, I'll be standing here at the head of the aisle and you can slip out of your seat in just a moment. But whatever it is that God has spoken to you about, let's say yes to him. Father, I thank you for speaking to me. Lord, I, I thought 